2013 has been called the noisiest year ever, where cyber attacks waged against the financial services industry are concerned. Attacks against financial services providers are continually growing in volume and sophistication, and the adversaries waging these attacks are becoming increasingly more sophisticated as well as organized. Banking institutions have to change the way they address cyber risks if they have any hope of keeping up. Here, Vikram Bhatt, a principal at Deloitte within the financial services practice, which just published a report about the ever-evolving cybersecurity landscape, offers insights about new approaches banks, credit unions, and other financial services providers must implement now in order to ensure they are adequately protecting their networks and preparing for new attacks that have not yet been waged. Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group. Vikram, one of the bankers that's quoted in this report that was just released about the ever-changing cyber threat landscape and its impact on the financial services industry has referred to 2013 as being the quote-unquote noisiest year ever. Can you tell us why? Good morning. I think there are a number of reasons why it's the noisiest year. Um, As we pointed out in our paper, there are different types of actors and there are really different types of threats that the institution face. It's not just about financial crime. There are things to worry about from a disruption, disruptive practices as well that these actors employ. So if you look at the collective different types of actors and the different types of threats, it gives you that multiplying effect where 2013 has become the noisiest year. The other things to consider are the overall attack surface, the opportunity landscape, if you will, for these actors is increasing. If you look at the device proliferation that is happening, the use of third parties and vendors, and in the sheer amount of data, and we're talking of you know multiple petabytes of data and tens of petabytes of data at these institutions, just the opportunity for these bad actors is pretty significant that ultimately results in greater volume and, and greater noise, as, as was called. And then finally, to some degree, we are getting better at counting and, and reporting and detecting, and all of this collectively is adding to the noises to your comment, if you will. Vikram, since 2009, cyber attacks waged against financial services have continually increased and changed. We've gone from malware attacks that were used to take over online banking accounts, which of course we still see, to point-of-sale attacks aimed at gathering card data, which we also still see, to distributed denial-of-service attacks that were actually aimed at taking down banking institutions' online presences. So why did 2013 then stand out? I think as to be pointed out, just the overall opportunity is high. And there are different motivations for the different actors. And and ultimately, the actors are going to target the weakest link based on their motivations. All in all, financial crime continues to be of importance. But uh, if you look at the cyber risk heat map that we provided, it's not just about financial crime as we discussed. It's about theft of IP. It's about business disruption. In some cases, even destruction. It's about creating reputational damage. And all of these factors collectively add to the different types of attacks by different types of actors. And as a result, if you look at collectively, the 2013 stands out as as kind of a marquee year. Let's talk a little bit about some of the losses that have been associated with some of the breaches that we've seen in 2013 as well as 2012. The cost of cybersecurity breaches continues to go up. In 2013, according to your report, Vikram, U.S. financial services companies lost about $23.6 million dollars because of cybersecurity breaches. How did those losses compare with previous years? That's a great question. I think 2013, um, we saw kind of a big jump in, in the losses based on the analysis of the data, almost a 43, 44% increase 
in the losses from the prior year, which is about 16.4 million in 2012 and about 14.7 million in 2011. And at the end of the day, you know, if you look at the payments industry overall and then it's, you know, integration with the broader industries like retail and in other places, the collective losses are going to uh, get impacted through events that happen not only within the core financial services industry, but overall, you know, in the economy. So all of these factors, together with what we discussed, you know, you start off with the whole notion around financial crime and, and motivation to steal money. 2013 has clearly seen a big jump in, in the losses at the end of the day. One quick point I'd like to make, though, about the dollar amounts. But if you look at it, it, it seems huge, but in the grand scheme of things, it is not you know, material to the balance sheet of many of these banks. So why is then cyber security and cyber risk of that importance? And our hypothesis and our position is that at the end of the day, in spite of the focus on financial loss, it goes to a fundamental issue of trust and brand and reputation of these companies. And as we've seen with some of the recent events that have happened, Cyber really goes to the heart of that issue, and and dealing with that from that mindset is going to be important. And while financial losses are material or significant in on a relative basis, so if you look at the overall balance sheet of these banks, they're not that significant, if you will. So, Vikram, what about the global impact on financial services from an economic standpoint? I think from a global perspective, you look at it on a on a couple levels. One. You know, ultimately the actors are global, and, and one could argue that in many cases they are beyond the you know the boundaries of, of the United States. And where you have a situation where a very small number of motivated actors can cause you know kind of an asymmetrical level of damage. I mean, ultimately, if you look at it. You know, cyber risk and cybersecurity is really an asymmetrical threat. So, and many of these institutions are global as well. So, you know, geopolitical events in one part of the world can motivate a set of actors. You have people in other parts of the world that are more interested in kind of the financial crime aspect of this. So really, this issue is absolutely a global issue, not only driven by the global footprint of the financial services industry, and particularly on the payment side, but then also driven by the global landscape of these actors. And at the end of the day, to, to protect against this is going to require of a coordinated response that cuts across the geographical boundaries of different countries and, and brings together not only the institutions, but as we allude to later in the paper, kind of create that public-private partnership in a coordinated way to enable kind of a, a coordinated but well-thought-of response to the global landscape. So Vikram, how would you say that financial services compares relative to cybersecurity preparedness and losses to other industries? In terms of financial services, I mean, one could actually argue that some of the leading financial services industry are, are leading the back across the industry landscape. So if you look at financial services versus some of the other industries, I would say on an average, they're probably ahead of the curve in general compared to some other industries, but also the demands are greater. The risk profile is higher. The regulatory pressures are, are much higher. So you kind of have to put the, you know, their maturity in the context of what the overall industry demands and what you know, people who, their clients, their consumers uh, demand. So 
I think it'll calibrate kind of where the maturity is with respect to the overall risk profile and posture that is required of the industry. I think clearly defense and, you know, the old, you know, the defense industrial complex, if you will, as well as certain regulatory agencies within the government clearly have built some very advanced capabilities. And one of the things that we are actively kind of working on is is that collaboration between and across industries, particularly between, you know, what goes on that comes out of Washington and the greater Washington investments to what the industry within the financial services world can, can adopt. So I think clearly there are lessons learned from certain sectors like the defense side of the house that that the financial services industry can adopt, but you know some of the kind of more mature organizations within the financial services world are clearly leading when compared to other industries as well. So Vikram, you've talked about the fact that we are doing a better job at tracking some of these attacks as well as the losses that are associated with them. How would you say that the attacks themselves then are evolving as well as the actors that are waging these attacks? How are they changing? So in terms of the attacks themselves, you know, when you look at emerging risks, that's where kind of the battle is being fraught on the front line. And the different the attack types continue to change, the techniques, the TTPs, uh, if you will, used by the attackers continue to be changed. So, you know, in many organizations, you have the threat management, you know, functions at those front lines, figuring out what the actors are doing, how the information flow may be happening, what are some of the techniques being used? All of those things are being done and need to be factored in as you move forward. And the reality is, you know, you cannot measure everything, right? So you try to measure all that you can, and it's absolutely important. Metrics are, are critical. But then in some cases of emerging risk, you really have to kind of think outside the box and put yourself in the shoes of these actors and what they would go after and how. Word to use with situational awareness. Really have that situational awareness of what's really going on in your own world internally as well as what is going on in the bad actor land so that collectively you can bridge the gap across the two. So Vikram, how important is it for the industry to understand who these adversaries are? Do they need to know who they are and understand them in order to really defend themselves? You have to figure out and get the appropriate threat intelligence so that you're able to act on it quickly and to understand the TDPs, if you will, that these various type of actors wage. And it's not only about one actor, but then, you know, across, like, what's the campaign and, you know, what do you see common across? What do you see in one region versus the other? So I think the leading financial services institutions are clearly investing in these cyber threat intelligence units and these fusion centers, et cetera, to create that broad level of situational awareness and to deal with these advanced adversaries. So all in all, I think it's very important, but you know, if you look at the broad landscape of financial services industry, not every institution is going to have the financial wherewithal to, you know, invest money in all of those capabilities. So I think it's important for institutions to understand is where is the biggest ROI for their size, scale, maturity, complexity, and make sure that the investments are aligned to that. But I think in general, you know, the more information you have around the threat actors and what they target, how they target, uh, is clearly going to be important in the battle for cyber, cyber risk, if you will. Vikram, what kind of information is most often targeted these days? You know, obviously the low-hanging fruit is things like account takeovers and, you know, credit card information and, and all that. And I call it low-hanging fruit from the standpoint of there's 
clearly a set of actors that is, you know, motivated by financial crime and will always be motivated by that, right? But really, we believe that the threat landscape has changed significantly and, as we call it, has evolved over the years. And, and if you look at some of the activist groups, etc., I mean, some of them might be interested in the financial crime side of it, but at the end of the day, you know, there's a much broader set of motivations. Some may be just interested in causing disruption, Others may have more destructive or more malicious intent. So really what varies is depending on the type of actor, what they are targeting varies significantly. And it's hard to kind of pinpoint and say one is about the other. And as an institution, I don't think they have the luxury of um, trying to make those choices. I think what's important to understand is what are their key assets, what are the high risk, you know, what are the risks what are the riskiest assets, and how do they protect against that? It's a continuous improvement. It's a continuous process that the institutions have to be aware of and, and continue to work on getting better day in and day out. So what recommendations or approaches for enhancing cybersecurity are noted in the report? We've fundamentally grouped our recommendations into two major categories. One to have a strategic organizational approach, and this means kind of elevating the game around the governance of cybersecurity to a real executive sponsorship, to have dedicated you know, threat management teams that are at the front line creating that situational awareness, creating that rapid response capability. The third thing we recommended was around kind of automation and analytics. I think I'm not going to use the word big data because it's an overused term, but it's really about smart data and really figuring out what analytics can be applied in order to glean intelligence. And glean intelligence is that you know, internal as well as external. Sometimes people lose sight of intelligence on the inside is as important, or I would argue even more important than what you just do on the outside. The people aspect of cybersecurity, I think, is an often overlooked angle that we really put forth as something that organizations need to significantly improve on. And there's some organizations that do it creatively using cyber simulations and other more creative learning techniques than just having, you know, people go online and you know fill out some forms and look at things like that and then external collaboration I think that's important I think it's the partnership between the organizations it's the partnership between the public sector and the private sector all of those are going to be part of that broad bucket of strategic organizational approaches that form part of our recommendation and then to support that is actionable threat intelligence and having that situational awareness it's creating the, the risk transparency within your world. And this is going to be critical. I think this is where, you know, while you mature your overall program, you need to have that day-to-day -day kind of situational awareness that is so in big picture. We've grouped them into two buckets, kind of shift to a more strategic organizational approach and really drive actionable threat intelligence with cadence. And I think that will uh, serve organizations well if we consider some of the recommendations. Vikram, I'd like to thank you again for your time this morning. Thank you very much. I appreciate it, Tracy. Again, we've just heard from Vikram Bhatt of Deloitte. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten.